Good morning, church. My name is Jamie. <laughs> they knew. <laughs> um, let's pray. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your peace. We need those. Will you help us to hear your truth today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So um, today is the first Sunday of Advent, um, as Brookie said. And Advent is the four weeks before Christmas. It's a, a whole little season there. And um, I know, it's a whole season. And it's a season where we, the church, get to reflect on Jesus' coming to earth. Okay? And we do this in uh, two ways, or at least two ways. We look back at the promises of God um, to send a Messiah to save the world. And, um, and we get to celebrate the fulfillment of that promise at Christmas, right? When Jesus came to earth in the flesh. And the other way that we reflect on Jesus' coming to earth is by looking ahead to the promise of Christ's return, his second coming. And we have the benefit of looking to the past and seeing that God keeps his promises, right? And so that means we can look ahead with hope, knowing that he will keep his promise to return, right? To make everything new. And that's what biblical hope is, right? It's not wishing, right? It's not like an optimistic outlook. It's um, biblical hope is the confident expectation that God keeps his promises, and that Jesus will return. And the thing is, this involves waiting. And uh, we're not good at waiting. And, and I think that's been true of humans uh, for, you know, a very long time. But um, I know that it's especially true of the humans on this part of the globe, right? Uh, we are spoiled. And we want what we want, and we want it right now, right? We want that instant gratification, or as close to instant as we can get. But as followers of Christ, we are a people who wait, okay? And what does it look like when we wait, right? Do we look like a people who wait with confident expectation that God keeps his promises? Or do we wait how the world waits, do we get impatient? And do we think that maybe God needs us to help him move his timeline along? Do we try to grab up as much wealth and earthly power as we can, like while we're here? Is that the kind of waiting that God has called us to? No. <laughs> Let's see if we can learn something about waiting, okay? Today's Old Testament reading comes from Jeremiah chapter 33. And it's only three verses. I don't know how to preach on just three verses. This is a very short sermon. Uh, hooray! <laughs> now, Jeremiah is a really rough and uh, very sad book. And um, if you've been in the Read Through the Bible group, you know that because we just went through it. But since this is Advent, you can be sure that the verses that we're reading today are going to have some hope in it. Okay, so it's Jeremiah 33, starting at verse 14. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. 
In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Now, in order to appreciate how hopeful this passage is, we need some context for who and where Jeremiah was at the time that the Lord put these words in his mouth. Uh, Jeremiah was a prophet. So let's talk about that for a moment. Because sometimes people confuse prophets and prophecy as being able to predict the future, right? Like fortune telling. And we need to understand that biblical prophets and biblical prophecy is nothing like that. The biblical prophets were people called by God to speak God's words to his people. And while many of those words were about future events, there is a huge difference in someone who predicts what the future holds and someone who is revealing what God says will happen in the future, right? Now, were there prophets in the Bible um, who acted as fortune tellers? Yes. And those were the prophets of kings and pharaohs, right? They were like the wise men who, they may have had some talent and gifts for some kind of supernatural shenanigans, uh, but they worked for men. And they were loyal to kings, not to God. They would tell the king and the people what they wanted to hear. And they did this for their own gain, right? They did it for wealth or influence. They did it for their own glory, right? Not for God's glory. And that's why they're called false prophets. And the biblical prophets are speaking to their people in their time, right? That is their primary audience. God speaks his words through his prophets to his people. And there may be warnings for their future, but there's also words for their present. He is sending them correction for their present. Okay, he tells them that they have not been faithful to him, right? They're worshiping idols, they're sacrificing children. They're living like heathens and not like God's people. So he tells them to change their ways, repent, and come back to God. Now, do the Israelites do this? Do they listen to their prophets and accept their correction and repent? Do we? So let's look at Jeremiah's life for a minute. Jeremiah is called by God to be a prophet when he is very young. And in fact, he tries to use his young age to get out of doing it. And I don't blame him at all. <laughs> but God says, don't tell me you're too young. Just do what I tell you to do. And that's basically what Jeremiah does for the rest of his life. Right? He does what God tells him to do. He obeys. And Jeremiah came to be a prophet during the reign of King Josiah of Judah. Okay, Israel had split into two kingdoms after King Solomon. And by this time, the northern kingdom did not exist anymore. They had been destroyed and deported by the Assyrian Empire. Okay, and this happened like 
a hundred years before, more than a hundred years before. So they're just like nothing. But Judah was still a kingdom, okay? And King Josiah was, um, well, he was one of those good kings, a handful of good kings that um, was faithful to God. And he was leading the people in a religious reformation at the time. He had outlawed idol worship, and he removed the altars to the other gods, and the people were back to being faithful to God. So this is when Jeremiah starts. He gets to see the nation during its last time of faithfulness, right? And it was a time of peace, relatively speaking, <laughs> okay? Because it was going to get a lot worse in 40 years. Now, when King Josiah dies, the religious reformation died with him, okay? And the people go nuts, worshiping all the old idols again. And there's a succession of kings who don't care. They're not very good kings. Um, they're pretty weak politically, and they are not faithful to God. So Jeremiah watches for 40-something years as these wicked kings, leaders, priests, and prophets ruin Judah and Jerusalem until it finally falls in 586 B.C., and it falls to the Babylonian Empire. So Jeremiah prophesies to his countrymen and to his kings for 40 years, and no one wants to hear what he's saying. Like, they either don't care, or they don't believe that he's speaking the truth. And some of the officials, they try to have him killed, and they have him put in prison, and he stays in prison right up to the fall of Jerusalem. Okay, he does not have an easy life. And he's known as the weeping prophet. And another thing about biblical prophets is that they share God's emotional responses to his people's actions or inactions. And they suffer with the people. Jeremiah weeps. In chapter 8, he says, My grief is beyond healing. My heart is broken. I hurt with the hurt of my people. I mourn and am overcome with grief. Is there no medicine? Is there no physician? Why is there no healing for the wounds of my people? And in chapter 4, he's writhing in pain. He's in physical agony at seeing the people deny God and remain stubborn in their waywardness. Throughout the book, there are these moments of grief and sadness and pain. And it's often difficult to tell whose voice it is. Is it Jeremiah weeping, or is it God? And Jeremiah isn't smug when he prophesies. He never separates himself from the people, right? He never says, you know what, I'm right and you're wrong, and you're all going to die. He never points to his own holiness or his own faithfulness. He humbly and faithfully serves God even while he's being threatened and persecuted by the very people he's trying to save. And they try to kill him. And they make up lies about him and get him arrested for treason. Does this all sound familiar, by the way? And yet he doesn't separate himself from them. He suffers with his countrymen. 
Even while he's in prison, he still prophesies. He still speaks God's word to his people. He still wants them to change their ways and repent and to come back to God. But they don't. And after all this time, Babylon finally attacks Jerusalem. And it takes two years, two long years of war. But Jerusalem falls. And it's burned. They burn it all. And Jeremiah suffers it all with the people who are left behind, the ones who were not rich enough or not useful enough to be exiled. So he tastes the ash of their city with them. And he smells the awful stench of so many dead bodies with them. And he experiences the famine that comes with two years of siege on their town with them. Jeremiah witnesses so much during his life. He's seen a good king and faithful priests. And he's seen wicked kings and false prophets. And he's seen visions and heard God's word. And he's seen his countrymen turn away from God over and over. And he has seen his nation fall. He has seen God's promise of the destruction of his people and their land come true. Which must mean that God's promises of hope and healing for his people and the land he gave them will also come true. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. It's God's promise to send a Messiah who will save them from injustice and oppression. Biblical prophets like Jeremiah prophesy to the people of their time and place. But we can learn from them too. And we can learn from their faithfulness, right? Their faithfulness in God and their obedience to God. And we can learn how to carry the tension of waiting with hope. And this kind of waiting isn't passive. Jeremiah didn't sit around twiddling his thumbs between prophecies. He worked. And he worshipped his Lord. And he prayed for the people. He was an intercessor. Like, all the time. In fact, I think, <laughs> I think it's in chapter 7 when God says, stop praying for the people. Like, that's how good of an intercessor he is. God's like, look, I'm doing my thing, so knock it off. And he witnessed, and he wept. Waiting is active, okay? And as followers of Christ, we are a people who wait. And we should do it actively the way the biblical prophets do, right? With the confident expectation that God keeps his promises. We can look back at the promise of the Messiah fulfilled, and we can look forward to the promise of his return. So I'm not going to 
tell you how to wait. I mean, I feel like I've already done that, right? I think you guys get the point about working and worshiping and witnessing and uh, not doing it the way the world does. These are all really good starts. But what I want you to hear, like, for real today is that we don't need to wait alone. It is way better to carry the tension of waiting in community with each other. Okay, the prophets weren't alone. Okay, they had wives. They had assistants. Okay, they had community. And the disciples were not alone. Jesus made sure that they worked in community, right? And that they, uh, they went out and planted other church communities. We are a people who wait in community. We worship together. And we witness together. And we weep together. Which means we also get to celebrate together. And in a few minutes, we get to pray together. And we get to break bread together. Amen.